Promise me you'll always remember. You are braver than you believe, and stronger than you seem, and smarter than you think. Christopher Robin from Winnie the Pooh. Hello and welcome to the Faithful Fatherhood Podcast. I am Brett Etheridge, host of the podcast, co-host of the podcast with Perry Hughes, who is not with us today, but his special guest, Bill McCarthy, is with us today. So Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brett. And thank you, Perry, uh, for having me. And I think like you, I just really appreciate the awareness, the, the intentional and deliberate effort at assisting men, particularly fathers, in caring for children. And, uh, you know, this is something I think like you, uh, I have felt uh, deeply, um, I felt that it's something that is uh, deeply important and um, just sort of easily overlooked. And so I thank you so much for having me to really be a part of something that I also very much uh, want to see occur. Uh, and, and that is, you know, uh, intimacy, connection, love and meaning between fathers and their children. And you do some of that organically as part of your practice. So by way of background, uh, Bill is a, he's a counselor. He's a clinical mental health counselor, specifically in North Carolina. He's the founder of 180 Degree Counseling Services. We'll go ahead and post a link to that to his website in the show notes below. Uh, and, and you work primarily... Well, well, tell us a little bit about your focus before we sort of dive into what we're going to be talking about. And, and to sort of set the stage, we are going to be talking about mental health, emotional health, creating intimacy, as you have already suggested, between father in this case and child. I think there are a lot of other potential directions we could go with this conversation. I know I have a lot of, a lot of questions for you, and I think this is a perfect follow-on. We've actually just finished a two-part series, Bill, on on health in general, but more the physical health. We've talked about the health of the father, that, you know, nurturing the health of our children and the role that we play in that area. And so shifting to really this crucial area of emotional intimacy and emotional health and stability as our children are growing up, but even as they grow towards adulthood, what is our role as their fathers in that? And so I'm looking forward to having this conversation. Uh, but yeah, maybe you can maybe you can start by telling us a little bit about sort of your journey to get to this this point, right? I mean, you've been doing, you've been practicing for two decades. Is that right? Yeah, that's accurate. I'm coming up on 20 years of practice as a psychotherapist. Um, and, uh, you know, really my background is certainly counselors become counselors for a reason. And maybe one day, you know, I'll have an autobiography out there. But, um, but for now, right, counselors become counselors for a reason. So I, obviously my life history and my youth gave me a great deal of insight and motivation about what I do. And initially I entered into ministry and, uh, my, and my, pers- my first uh, career really was outdoor adventure sport. And I was a professional mountaineering guide and, uh, and with youth. And a lot of that work was climbing and backpacking, but also kind of hearing the life story of young people. And really just sort of, well, actually what we do, and I'll probably share some of this today, is as guides, 
we would um, model, I think, transparency and vulnerability by telling our own life story with young people. And then they would emulate that. So they would see from our vulnerability and our transparency how to be that way. And then we would sort of have this very deep, I think, um, social, emotional, spiritual wellness occurring on during those adventures. And we were trained to do that. And then I was actually invited in that first, not my first career, I was invited to actually run an entire operation. And that involved um, not being outside anymore. And it also involved like not being able to go into much depth. It was just, you know, administration, finance, management. And I was like, oh, no. And so it was a bit of a crisis. And then I actually got together with a group of men and just sort of sought their guidance. And and that led one of them to pushing me to go to grad school. Uh, and um, and then and then my outside stuff, I really do kind of with for myself, with friends and family. And I, I attended Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary. And in addition to, you know, being held to the high standard of studying the science of psychology, I also did biblical and theological studies, you know, as, you know, um, I would say for me, having and being connected, having an intimate relationship with Jesus, you know, is, is just there. It's just there, naturally there. And then, but it was beautiful, I think, to be in an environment where uh, I was held to to integrate i think you know like we often think about spirituality and we only in the sort of compartmentalized in the realm of spirituality and then i i i was just it was beautiful to to experience god experience jesus in the realm of science in the realm of um study in the realm of reading things that i agreed with reading and studying things i didn't agree with it was just uh it was a wonderful education. And then from there, I, I did clinical work. So I worked in hospitals and I, sometimes I would work in hospital emergency rooms with people experiencing like significant crisis, like a ability to perceive reality impaired or substance abuse. And then, uh, and then I was with a group practice for about seven years and then moved over to do, to sort of have my own business. And, uh, and I specialized with children and adolescents. So let's talk some more about that. And when you have kids yourself, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, first, probably first and foremost, and the most important thing is, yeah, yeah, I've been married coming up on 29 years. And uh, I have 18-year-old uh, boy-girl twins. And literally, like next week, I'm dropping my son off at college. And at the end of the month, I'm dropping my daughter off at college. Quite the journey. I'm sure we'll we'll talk about some of that. And actually, before we dive into some of the more serious stuff, perhaps I, Perry told me that some of your uh, your wilderness experience was actually out in Colorado. Is that right? Where Perry is now. So for the listener, Perry, uh, the listeners will know that Perry is on a kind of a whirlwind summer adventure with his family, camping and and all of that. And they're in Colorado as we speak, without internet access, which is why he's not able to join us for this conversation. But where in Colorado did you spend a lot of your time? So I moved around. So so I was kind of centralized in the winter in Buena Vista, Colorado. And then uh, in the summers, I would be near Creed, Colorado, in a wilderness area down there called the Wemenooch Wilderness. And then I actually also spent a summer in a tiny place in Wyoming called Encampment, Wyoming, which is near Saratoga, Wyoming. And we were sort of searching out and seeking. We're kind of doing a pilot program. 
and we were just seeing how an operation would work there. And uh, and that was and so we were in a wilderness area called the Medicine Bow and Snowy Range. And it was so much fun. The Wyoming culture was really neat because I got to meet a lot of cowboys, like in cowboy families and, uh, you know, cattle and, and, uh, and, you know, just sort of like, so we had to move around a lot because you couldn't, some of these areas you just couldn't be in, in the winter. And a lot of our operation occurred in the summer, you know, cause young people are out of school. And, and so, yeah, we, we moved around a lot, but it was, there's, there's wilderness areas, of course, in these States that, aren't necessarily popular, but they're just as amazing. And we were looking for room and opportunity to get people out there. I'll touch base when I'm ready to take my kids out west. My wife and I lived in Colorado for almost 10 years and, and explored a lot of the areas that you're referencing in Colorado, not as much in Wyoming. And so I deeply want to take my kids back out west and climb some of the 14ers and do some of that because it's just breathtaking, spectacular country. So anyway, uh, well, let, well, let's dive into having this conversation. And and I think, you know, we talk about mental health and it affects our kids. And so when you talk about mental health, when we're talking about emotional health, just so we're all sort of speaking the same language here, what are you talking about? What are we talking about? And why is it so important when it comes to our relationship with our kids? It's a great question, you know, because I think a lot of times we are operating in, in uh, medical science and or even in uh, in counseling. And we're not really we don't stop to take time to say what it is that we're trying to do. Right. And so what we're what we're trying to do is healing. Right. Because emotionally or socially or psychologically or spiritually. Right. Just like physically, we experience injury. So we experience hurt, we experience confusion. There are, there are painful, intangible, painful things that go on and occur. And those are sometimes driven by maybe how we're wired, almost like a computer, like a computer has hardware. And right, if something in the hardware is unique, right, it can affect the software. So right, what you're trying to download, right? So sometimes you're doing things to try to address hardware, like actual physical things going on in the in neurology, in the nervous system. And sometimes you're trying to address things that are going on in the consciousness, you know. And so I think what's tough for us is that these, again, these things are tangible. So they're hard to see. And they're often, I think, um, you know, we definitely in terms of a society, right, um, these sort of, these sort of things get put on the back burner in terms of in terms of what I've noticed in terms of ambition or performance, right? You know what tends to be em- emphasized or focused on is, and these things are not. I'm not talking about these things like they're bad. They're important and they're meaningful. Um, is you know we sort of look at occupational or academic or athletic or monetary ambition, right? But oftentimes at the cost, I think, of social emotional wellness. And so we're kind of like our profession. And I think sometimes ministry, we're at the sort of, we're the ones, we're the lone sort of sentinels at that threshold saying, whoa, whoa, you know, what good is it to gain the whole world but lose your soul? Right. You know, and uh, and so it, I do believe that to to care for this aspect of your life, you you almost have to be a bit radical. I mean, I know that sounds like I don't mean it to to be alarming or alarmist or anyway, but I do think you've really got to be out of the box to pay attention because these other things are so demanding of our time and attention and they're so valued um, that 
um, we overlook. You know, for example, a lot of times I think, you know, I'll, I'll be with men, fathers, and they'll say, look, you know, I'm, I'm a good provider, providing for my family. And like, and, and oftentimes that's accurate. And, you know, in terms of monetary provision, and I'll be like, that's a great strength. Good for you. Well done. Thank you for that. And then how are we doing with emotional, social, spiritual provision? Right. And sometimes I think there's like emotional, social, spiritual bankruptcy. And there are reasons I think that I think we need to be able to all sit together with some empathy, some compassion, really understanding what why is that? Like what's going on for men that's make, making those areas so depleted? And when, when I and I could be getting ahead of myself in your question here, but what I think about in terms of mental health for young people is mental health for parents. The two go um, hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. So because things are systemic, right? And and so I'll be in a session, you know, and typically in my sessions, I'll meet for about initially for about 15 or 20 minutes with parents. And usually about the 10 minute mark, they're looking towards my waiting room. And sometimes they'll be bold enough to say, are you going to bring my kid in here? And I, and I certainly understand that. And I'll say, yes, yes. And then what helps them helps you and what helps you helps them. And so, like, you know, of course, if I just sit with the youth and they're growing and healing and developing, but parents aren't in on that, then they're, you know, sometimes it can be undermined or misunderstood. So I really, you know, sort of take a systemic or a team approach. Sometimes we spend time all together. But I'm definitely, my goal, Brett, is to be obsolete. So my, I never want to rob a parent, or I guess in our case, we're talking about a father of their glory. So what I want to do is equip a father to be a therapist. And then, you know, and I would hope to do that to the point of like, that we would grow to the point of like, therapists aren't needed. And I can teach her something. I'll just go teach at a college or something, right? Yeah. But that that's my goal with fathers is to sort of equip them. And, I, you know, we can get into this, but there are certainly understandable reasons why this sort of pattern of um, not knowing how to be really emotionally available with our kids. There are reasons why that's occurring that I think we need to understand. And then we need to know how, how, you know, really nuts and bolts. How do you cope with that? Well, and so help us with that. Help us with some of the tools that we can use to sort of play that therapist role. But let's actually start at the beginning. And to me, when I think about the beginning, if you're talking about mental health as healing, and you alluded to the idea that sometimes it's not even evident what needs to be healed or we push things to the back burner. What are the biggest threats in your mind in today's society to our kids in terms of their mental health, their being emotionally well-adjusted kids as they grow up? What are a few of the things that we as fathers should be aware of that are injuring our kids that we might need to be conscious of? Yeah. um, I think one huge threat is the assumption that um, I've got to go to work. So I think a lot of times what's happening is we as men are so focused on work that, and we're, it's hard work and we have to do it and we're exhausted. And 
Um, and I think too, I, you know, I should add, I think we as parents or as adults are very consumed by our uh, maybe what we're obligated to with our employers or what we're obligated to with regard to our finances. And um, that really grabs our attention. And then because, for example, I'll try to schedule therapy and people say, well, I've got to work. And it's interesting because I would say, well, what do you do when you go to the dentist or the doctor? And they're like, well, I take a personal day. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, let's do that for this type of healing. Right. But it's so in our consciousness that we can't, that we can't push back on that, that there's no flexibility and that I've just got to do that. And so I do think that's a big threat. Um, yeah. Connect, connect the dots there for a second. That's a threat. Why? So you're suggesting that we as fathers are hurting our kids by lack of presence, by setting the wrong example. So just connect the dots. How is that affecting our kids in terms of their mental and emotional health if we're overly focused on work? Yeah, yeah. That, because, um, and I think, right, like I want to be empathetic because it's definitely a way of caring, right? And it's definitely like important and it's something that we're required to do. And, and it's so important to acknowledge that. Like that's a, that's a, a beautiful aspect of love and sacrifice on behalf of families, on behalf of children is that type of provision. And then, but I think like there's sort of this mindset of obligation. Sometimes it's a little self-imposed and we just don't think creatively or realize that we can, we can exercise volition and agency to step away. We can take time. We, you know, it's kind of like, is it, is it really taboo to take a personal day? How many, how many personal days do you have? What if you intentionally did that to spend time with your child? Um, what if you made a decision to actually make less money? Like you, you engage in a career shift that allowed you to be more available in terms of time and presence, like physically available with your kids. Um, and, for, you know, but you had this uh, wealth, right? We maybe we think of it in terms of wealth management, you know, like what really is wealth management? And, and are we managing the priceless wealth of, you know, uh, love, connection, um, you know, that so many people sort of later on say, oh, I so regret. Like, you know, personally, I'm so excited that I, I, I very much feel, authentically feel that when I drop my kids off for college, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be very sad and grieving. Like, I'll just tell you, like, and that's just me and my story. People have different experiences, but I, I can tell you that's going to be an existential crisis, man. And for me, and I'll just sort of sit in a, a strange place for a while, I'm sure, and ask people for help. But but it's because you have such a good relationship with your kids. You've invested time. You've poured into them. They are a part of you. And so there is going to be that emptiness, that sense of loss in a, in a good way because you've poured into them. It's not, you know, it, it matters, right? And not all fathers necessarily have that type of relationship with their kids as their kid turns 18. And so that speaks to me to the way that you've invested in your kid and made some of those decisions that you're already talking about so that you can have that be the reality as you step into this next season in your relationship with your kids. 
Yes. And I, so I don't, I'm not like, oh, I regret, I wish I had. Right. There's no, it's not regret that you obviously wish you had more time with them. We always want just another, you know, another, another five minutes, another, another hour, another day together. You know, obviously there's always that longing, I think, but, uh, but yeah, there's, it's not going to be the regret of, oh, I wish I had spent more time with my kids. Yeah. Yeah. So spending time, right. And they're just these other things sometimes I think so like that even seem like they seem like it's wise and prudent things to do, right? And sort of getting our heads out of, you know, what's what's right or wrong or sort of like what what works and what doesn't. And I just think that we do have, I notice that, you know, eventually I can have fathers that they're here and they're they're able to push back on work a little bit or push back and to, for what to them feels like pushing back. But probably in many cases, it's just normative. Like, it's like, yeah, that's why you have, personal days, or of course, go take care of your wellness, you know, and in some cases not right. Like in some settings, it's like, yeah, go take care of your wellness. And it's like, but not really, because we, you know, that, that, that's seen as, you know, you don't have your priorities. Right. So I think there's this sort of like, maybe if we were speaking in, you know, from a, from a, from a faith-based perspective, right. There's sort of worldly priorities and then there's kingdom priorities and it's tough, man. It's really tough on, and guys are very confused because it's like, well, you know, like it's a tough bind. Like if I'm emotionally available, then I'm not providing, you know, monetarily for what my kids need. And then if I'm providing monetarily, I'm not emotionally available. So which is it, man, you know, and it, it is an incredible bind. Like, again, I, that's why I sort of use the term, you know, we have to be so creative and out of the box, I think about how to do that. And, but we, not without risk, but I, I think, you know, by nature, right. Love, Love involves suffering and sacrifice. And you know, once you're a parent, like there's just no getting. Like I think we have to embrace that in some ways that that's a part of the love, and it is a, um, it is it is very challenging. And um, uh, you know, certainly our ego constantly rises up and says, "Hey, what about me?" You know, and uh, you know, there's just this constant struggle of loving our kids and suffering and sacrifice for them, and then uh, you know, loving ourselves love others as you love yourself and sort of parenting that way. And so you were, you know, you were talking about some of the things that are threatening for young people that, you know, and I certainly think like we, we, there's a lot of maybe indulgent or permissive stuff that goes on or, or, or sort of absence or neglect. And so um, we could do a whole nother discussion on, you know, just this idea of maybe discipline. And, and I mean that more in terms of structure and guidance than, than punitive. Um, but, but I think, right, there's just this sort of like, like youth are experiencing privilege without having to do anything. And, and I don't think we realize how debilitating that is. And so like, I'm constantly meeting with fathers and mothers and they're, and they're just saying, look, they're not motivated. We cannot get our child motivated or, you know, they won't behave. And so there's this. But I'm like, well, that's because they're like really comfortable and they're getting everything they want. So, and the two sort of go hand in hand. You know, I think about friends that I have who are very much in the provider mindset and mode, which, as you've suggested, is is great to a point. But if the desire is, you know, the huge house and the fancy vacations and the giving your kids everything they want without having to work for it, maybe you've tipped over into like you suggested the the privilege without the responsibility without the working for it and so yeah so i can see how that could could harm our kids as well and what and what what's the emotional and, and the mental harm that that then does on a kid well it it um it leaves them ill-equipped and um it's sort of an insulation so 
it's really like it's almost like your ability to perceive reality is impaired from that point because we're not sort of we're not helping them adapt and evolve to the point of when they move into adulthood right they because in that environment in the adulthood environment right there's consequences and there's rewards and those are both motivational things and so we really want to shepherd that way or guide kids that way so that and when we shepherd and guide that way i think that does something to our character so you know like you know who no one really likes consequences and yet we would have to agree if we're intellectually honest we'd have to agree wow that does a lot to alter to make help me to care it sort of snaps me out of the apathy. It's motivating. It hurts. So I want to, you know, like, I think I like Gary Thomas. He wrote a book called Sacred Parenting. And at one point he says, and this is heavy. I was like, whoa, like, it's really heavy. But he said, he said, if God let his son suffer, what does that say about how we should raise our children? And so I think there's just like, and I certainly don't hear me say that comfort, nurture is beautiful, critical, gentleness. Yes, absolutely. And then I think there's sort of this resiliency nurture that is also just as important. And and so I think in some ways, like what I notice in young people that are experiencing privilege without the, you know, a sort of real experience of having to work for it or having it be a source of motivation. Um, there's just sort of this uh, um, irritability. And a lot of that, of course, ties into, I mean, it goes without saying, but it doesn't like, you know, constant um, media or electronic exposure, you know, certainly social media is a, is a very, very powerful tool, a very powerful um, thing that is fairly new. And so this generation really is the first to, you know, of parents and kids and fathers are wading through this, trying to understand it. And there's a lot of like, here you go. Right. So you're giving someone very young a lot of power, right, with regard to communication and social emotional exchange um, that they may not be equipped to understand the, the healthy boundaries for. That's where our role as father comes in. So I actually want to I want to go down two branches and maybe we can start with we'll start with one branch and then go to the other. Let me sort of explain the two branches. One branch is equipping fathers with the tools to be able to to guide their kids through some of these challenges to be emotionally present for them so that their kids can grow up in a healthy emotional way and I think I think that's a big part of what's lacking in a lot of fathers and and going back to the provision piece it's easy I think sometimes for men to hide behind their work because that's comfortable that's easy I can spend an extra hour at the office as opposed to going home where now I have to actually be present with my kids and try to connect with them but I just don't know how so so I want to talk about the tools piece but I also but I want to start with the symptoms piece if if you go to the doctor and something's wrong, the doctor tries to figure out this, like, what are the symptoms? What's wrong? Where does it hurt? You have a cough, you have like whatever, right? What are the symptoms we can identify in our kids that they might not be emotionally healthy, mentally there? Something's bothering them and it's more than just, oh, my, my, my brand new boyfriend just broke up with me in the sixth grade and I'm all distraught because I'm a teenage girl or like a, whatever. But 
Um, but like something's really, and actually I'm not, I don't want to down, downplay that. I mean, that's, that's an emotional crisis in, in, in a sixth grade girl, seventh grade girl, eighth grade girl. But, but I guess what I'm getting at is what are, let's talk about the symptoms. How can we as fathers know that something's off with our kids that needs to be nurtured to? Some things that certainly come up are like just being stuck, like just constant, um, arguing, uh, you know, just like can't seem to stop. It's irritable. It's conflict. It's um, uh, uh, there's there's opposition. There's defiance. Disorder. Like a lot of times in therapy, we'll use we'll use diagnostic terms, and we we are diagnosing problems, not people. I think people misunderstand that and think, hey, I'm ADD or hey, I'm depressed, and I'm like, no, you're you. You know, you're Brett. I'm Bill. Right. But we may we may be saying there is a dynamic that occurs and, you know, whatever neurology I have, whatever personality I have, this sort of dynamic repetitious dynamic comes out that is somewhat problematic. And then we have names for that. And at the end of those names, you have the word disorder. So I think if you're noticing, are we functioning right? Are we like one question I ask people is if the walls could talk, what would they say about how your family deals with conflict? Hmm. Right. And no one answers that swimmingly. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Which is so kind of precious, you know, like it's, it, I think it's just such a good, great moment in therapy just to sit there and listen to folks say, well, um, you know, and they start describing silence or passivity or, you know, yelling or, um, you know, passive aggressive sarcasm. Right. And, and, and those things aren't really working very well. And so I think, right. Like, what, a lot of times what you see in kids is shutting down, like you'll see a, an isolating, a shutting down, um, a going away um, instead of being able to, you know, in the room with the door closed, right? And as opposed to, hey, we, we need to be up up and out or up and open instead of like closed and down. And so you'll see a lot of that um, and not – and even with peers – like sort of assuming that because I'm gaming with a peer, I'm doing a multiplayer game with a peer with a headset on, or, I'm, you know, we're, we're uh, Snapchatting each other, right? We're connected. And, you know, there's some connection in that. But, but again, like we just know, like during COVID, we were like, like I was doing things like assigning people, like sit outside, have a meal. And I was actually asking parents to plan a meal together outside and like, which is something they never had to do before it was automated. So they had such a hard time sort of saying, you know, doing that as a discipline. Right. But I was trying to nurture the need for social connection. So I think when you see kids like disorder, right, you see like pain and aggravation and agitation in the family, or you see that sort of thing occurring at school. Right. With teachers and peers or, you know, academic or the learning process, or you see that occurring uh, maybe even, you know, in terms of other endeavors like athletics or. Right. So so I think it's just sort of like, whoa, is there disorder? Are we functioning? Right. Or maybe some those are some of the things to notice. But I think also oftentimes what we do is we don't notice ourselves again, thinking systemically or maybe thinking kingdom and church. Right. Like the church is a body. A family's a body and sort of saying, hey, you know, like each is its own part. What's my part? How am I doing? You know, and that kind of leads into, Brett, that question of like tools and how. 
Yeah, that's now that that's the key piece, right? I I was listening to a clip uh, from Gary Vaynerchuk. I don't know if you know who he is, but he was uh, just a short little clip where he was asked by somebody at a conference if social media is dangerous for kids, and I, I think the person asking the question was hoping he was going to talk about no, you know, there's ways to do it safely and blah 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 blah. And he goes, yeah, absolutely. Social media is really dangerous for kids. Uh, it's going to hurt them. The salute, but but it's almost impossible to, you know, completely uh, keep them from it. The solution is for you to help your kids handle it, for you to build up their self-esteem, for you to to help guide them through it in a healthy, responsible way. And I thought, that makes a lot of sense. Like, give yes. them, your kids, the tools to handle social media the right way. But then my next thought was, what are those tools? Like, what what would I give to my kid? Like, what what if I don't? What if I don't have it to give? How do I help them? So, so let's talk about that side of it then. For the fathers, what are some of the tools that we need in our toolbox to help our kids, not just with social media, but to to navigate the pitfalls of growing up? And, and of course, Brett, you went to tools, right? And I'm so glad you said that because, right? Like, I, yeah, there's a bit of a story here, and this is something that I created really long ago. To the same question, and so, 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 a mentor of mine. He's a therapist longer than me, a father, a husband longer than me, and uh, you know, I would, I would spend time with him weekly. And he would, his name is. I'm, I'm gonna mention him. You know, uh, his name is Dr. Scott Lineberry. Okay, and he's just a great leader here. Um, and he and I were sitting together, and you know, like in, in your work, sometimes like a part of therapy for us is to maybe have a little bit of jaded conversation, you know, where we kind of let our own guard down, maybe expose vulnerable, sort of expose our dark side or exposing our weaknesses. And, um, and, I, and, and we, were, we found ourselves complaining a bit, sort of knowing that we're both men, but we're both, we're both pretty sensitive men. And, um, and so we, we were, I was, I was expressing being a little annoyed and I was like, what is it with men? Like, like I am one. It's so funny. You know? <laughs> but, but I was like, what is it with men? Like, why do we always have to try to fix everything? Why That's is it question. that? And then, and then he goes, yeah, it's like, it's like men. And then like, we sort of, we sort of correct ourselves. It's like, we, <laughs> we need like a formula all the time. We just throw the formula for success at our kids, you know? And it's like, why can't we just, and I was like, yeah, we don't know how. And certainly we've had generations, right, of there's certainly like sort of a biblical perspective of looking at things and saying there's sort of generational sin, right, or which means separation from, which is interesting, which means broken social. It means disconnect from intimacy, right? And so it's really more of a social term, I think, than a behavior or a rule term. It's like, oh, we, I'm missing out on, right, this connection. And so... And so I was like, okay, so then, you know, I got out of our, our jadedness and I thought, you know what, I'm going to make one. I'm going to make a formula because if that's what we need, you know, then so I'm lay it on us. Towards- yeah, there you go. We get, so there's a formula. Yeah. So, so you'll notice in the prodigal son, when this kid came home, this is a big dilemma, I think, for, for people of faith. We think that confession is kind of this shame thing where it's like, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I was bad. It, but it's kind of more like, here's all of me, the good, the beautiful, the bad, the ugly. 
Okay. And so if we're going to have intimacy, right, or connection, then the bad and the ugly have to be a part of that. And then the mistake that we make is that, and I think this is an unbiblical mistake, is that we immediately respond with lecture and discipline. When our child tells us something that if, if, you know, and and then it's like, why are they lying? And I'm like, stop talking about lying. Start talking about trust. Mm. And so it's like, how do you trust or how do you build intimacy? How do you do that? Right. And I'm like, by revealing your shadow side. And it's like, well, how do you do that? This kid came home, his dad, there was no lecture, no discipline. I think Jesus started that story with, if you want to know what the father is like. And then he tells the story, really the prodigal sons. This boy comes home and his dad, there's no lecture, no discipline. There's affection, acceptance. Um, There is a a ring, a, a coat, and a fatted cap and a celebration. And it's like, what is going on there? I've actually had two pastors stand up off couch in therapy and say, but he repented. And I was like, what did he do, though? Like, he just basically was like, I can't do it. And I'll just be a servant. So if that's repentance, great. But it was just such a beautiful story, you know, and of this sort of like love and you sort of hear in scripture without love, these things are meaningless. Like, so I think without love, discipline is meaningless. So it's like, how do you cultivate that? So there's this formula, right? And what I like to do is first you say, I promise. And you're talking to yourself, dad, I promise I will not lecture or discipline you. Hmm. This doesn't mean that you don't have a set of guidelines in your home. You don't have a covenant in your home that you don't have incentives and consequences. This means this is a time of confession. Uh, this is a time of confession. We're going to take a break from that. This is a time of emotional support. This is a time of connection. The other thing is a time of correction. That starts with a C, and that's also needed. We're not going to do that right now. Okay. I will not discipline or lecture you because, believe me, in a minute you're going to feel an urge to. Because you're you're going to say to your child after that, please tell me one thing. Don't say, is there anything? Because they'll say no. Please tell me one thing that you hide. You keep secret. You're embarrassed about it. You're ashamed. You're afraid. You're hopeful. Right? We're saying, please tell me one vulnerable and transparent thing. Transparent. Right? So this, like, see through, and the word parent is in there, and I'm just like, oh, you know, right? Like, so I think the parent is saying, "Look, let's be let's let's cultivate trust." Right? Is this in, is, is this in sort of a crisis moment when we know something's happening, or this is just I just go up to my child, sort of out of the blue, "Hey, son, sit down. We're going to have a conversation. Tell me something." You know, is it something that I'm doing blue. to purpose just out of the blue, just purposely yes. trying to create intimacy? Yeah, and it, it it could even be nauseatingly awkward, right. and if you feel that good you're on the right track it will be trust is innately risky and scary and and it you know so i think like you're on the right track if if people are like is there a way to do this that it isn't awkward i'm like eventually (laughs) but i think like the first time you do this please tell me one thing they're going to say nope nothing then i think it's important for us to say this is the next step in the formula that's called shame and we're not going to do shame right perfect love drives out all fear we're going to do love and trust. And I sure do understand. So what I'm going to do for you is I'm going to tell you a story about me when I was young. Right? We probably don't want to tell them the things now 
that we hide, keep secret, or embarrassed about. We need to save that for a few trusted friends, our wife, right? But but with our kids, we want to say, when I was your age, I stole something, and I hid it, and I, I felt terrible. Like letting them know that we've been there, right? We're modeling, just like I said earlier, as a guide, modeling something to emulate. We were modeling this transparency and this vulnerability for our for these uh, people we're taking on for our clients. I guess people we're taking on the trail and. And in the same way with our child right now, we're modeling vulnerability and transparency. We're saying, I'll, I'll, I'll trust you with something about myself that's weak, dark, you know, that I'm not proud of. And then the next time we have this conversation, I want to hear something from you, please. Right. Well, you know, and I mean, you could start off by going to have ice cream or go get a hamburger and sort of in a nice private space do this. Right. But um, it will it will require that you're intentional and deliberate. The next step is they're going to tell you something you don't want to hear. (laughs) And when you hear it, and I know this, you will feel the most powerful urge to say something, to give them, tell them how to fix it or what they should have done or, you know, and then they're not, they're going to not be able to open up again. Right. If we, if if we're punitive when someone is, uh, vulnerable, right? They're not going to be, it's like, why does my child lie? Why won't my child trust me? And it's like, so it's because we don't know how to be emotionally supportive. And, and so this is a time when we're nurturing, we're being emotionally supportive. Later on, we can engage in, you know, discipline. And, but I think in this moment, it's like all we do, and this is such a wonderful thing for dads, because we feel this pressure of to fix it. And we feel this incredible weight that we've got to make it all better and figure it out. But really in this moment, it's just a matter of hugging them, looking them in the eye and saying, this is trust. Thank you for trusting me. I'm so proud of you. Right? And then you wait three days. And there's been a couple of times in my life where those three days were long. <laughs> and then it, then I think it's coming back in a different space and saying, um, how knowledgeable, this is, goes back to equipping, like this gentleman you were referring to earlier. How knowledgeable are you? This experience you've had, how informed are you on it? How informed are you on weed, alcohol, pornography, right? Uh, uh, planning your future, right? Like maybe, because maybe it's just something like, maybe it's a lighthearted moment. It's just like, well, I just have this dream, you know, where I want to be an astronaut. Right. And, you know, thank you so much for trusting me. Right. Or, you know, what's so, you know, what often happens though as an astronaut, who do you think you are? Or do you know what you have to do to become an astronaut? Right. You better get ready, buddy. We're getting up early tomorrow. Right. So instead of just this precious moment of, oh man, thank you for telling me about your dream. I'm so proud of you. You have the courage to dream. That's amazing. I love you. Right. And there's no discipline, nothing. There's no lecturing. But inside. Right. To be fair for me, Bill McCarthy here with fathers everywhere listening. um, You're going to feel an incredible primal urge to lecture or to discipline or to fix. But but and I think this over time occurs more naturally, like I know it has with my kids. I I was just going to say, I'm I'm thinking about my own kids and and have, you know, having that pointed conversation with them. What are your tips for dealing with teenagers <laughs> who 
at least in my experience, go a little bit more internal, a little bit more reluctant to share, too cool for that type of thing, et cetera, et cetera. So when, when hormone, like are all teenagers crazy? <laughs> like when hormones come into the mix, I mean, how do you, yeah, how do, how do you navigate those waters? Any advice for getting our teenage kids to open up to trust us, to maybe share some more intimate things that they are very reluctant perhaps to share. Yeah. Again, again, I think modeling it one is sort of saying, I'll trust you with my, with something that I'm not proud of. I think too, like, um, you know, maybe we have to back up and say, I'd like to validate for you and acknowledge that I've not made it easy for you to open up. I have this history of not listening. I have this history of just try to fix it. So I think validating for them, one, just sort of saying, you know, I can understand perhaps why we're having this dynamic. And I think, you know, I can understand why it's awkward and probably doesn't feel cool and feels weird. Yeah. Right. Like I get that, you know, there's, it, it kind of feels weird and, and awkward. And I think with little ones, sometimes you can say, draw me a picture of it, draw a picture for me. You know, maybe you've got a little artist and you're like, draw a picture for me or I think right like you use these tools right like text me text me about it right just write it out in the text and send it to me maybe that feels more comfortable right so some more indirect ways of opening up right but I think also just identifying with them there is no way to do this and it feel comfortable right and 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 just because I think like it's sort of like, is there a way to do this that it isn't awkward? Like, I get that question a lot, about a lot of things with kids, and I'm like, no. And just acknowledge that with them, and I think saying, hey, look, I get this is awkward. It has to be. Trust is that way. There's no such thing as risk-free trust. It just does not. It's innately risky and uncomfortable. I mean, I think intimacy takes more courage than anything, than anything. Because John Eldridge once wrote, it's the bloodiest battle. And then I, I was actually furious about that because I have close friends that have been in bloody battles. And so I, I went to them thinking, you know, well, you know, and they've been so brave, I think, to share with me on a, on a real level what that is. And um, that, that, that's life changing for a person, a, a civilian to experience someone who's been through um, bloody battles open up. And, 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 I'm, and so I'm like, do you, do you think it's the bloody battle? And, and all of them have said yes. Hmm. That, that takes more courage than what I did. And th- these guys are like, you know, they're traumatized, horror, you know, have been injured, have, have, have done injury, have experienced moral injury. Right. And, and they're like, yeah, dude, apologizing to my wife takes more courage. One, one man said I would fly, I'd rather fly an attack helicopter into Iraqi airspace, knowing their surface to air missiles than apologize to my wife. Hmm. He said that would be easier. And I was like, wow. You know, and one guy said, you know, he's been telling, he said, he said he's been shot and shot, you know, and just been through all this horror and jumped out of airplanes. And he was like, that's way, it's way easier to do that than to tell my wife how I really feel. And so I was like, okay, agreed. Like this takes more courage than anything. So if it's scary and uncomfortable, I think the reason for that is, um, you know, these intangible things. And I think this is why men, we have such struggle with it is. We feel ill-equipped and we don't feel strong and we feel weak and that anything but weak. Right. So so it's there's such a paradox there. 
and such a dissonance going on inside of us where it's like, but wait, if I move towards that now, um, you know, like, like some of those guys, some of those guys are like, you're making me soft. And I'm like, no, no, I'm making you effective. I'm helping you be strong. So, so, so it is a great strength, but it, it's, you know, I think for anybody to move into vulnerability takes tremendous, takes the most courage. And so, yeah, so I, you're, you're talking about, I think to be, you know, when we're experiencing resistance with kids in this. And I think just acknowledging that resistance, that shame as like, Hey, I want to cultivate trust. I understand why you're, why you're hesitant. And then saying, here are other ways to address this with me. Maybe not so direct. Well, and, and so that's the balancing act because when I'm in those moments, I don't, I don't mind having the hard conversation. And I forced at least one of my sons that, that I'm thinking about to have some hard conversations just because I think it's good for him. It's important to learn. It's important to learn how to how to talk, how to open up, how to share some things, even if it's uncomfortable, even if you don't feel like it. And that's at least been my message to him. And and I remember one time in particular, he said, "Can't I just can I just write you a letter about it?" That's awesome. It's great. Well, that's great for him. Maybe not so much my response because my response was, "Well, no, we need to talk about it now." And I made I basically made him can keep having a conversation that he wasn't enjoying having. And and it ended up landing in a good spot. And my my thought process was if I let him just write about it, I'm letting him off the hook. It's important for him to learn how to communicate. It sounds like maybe I didn't handle that the right way. So it's it's interesting no, to hear. I, I would not agree with that just for a minute. I, okay. I, I would say, right, it gets messy. Yeah. And so what a great sort of realistic observation of that vulnerable moment and like struggling through it, but still moving towards it, you know, and you saying, no, no, like I want to. So, so I think like, you know, you took a risk there, right. But the, you know, what's going on in that situation is, you know, I want to hear your heart. I want to know your heart. And at some point you're going to be able to have to do that socially. That was my message to him. Yeah. 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 And, And in his mind, he's like, no, I won't. I'm just, you know, he like, why do I have to? I don't have to talk to people. And I'm just, you know, he doesn't know a whole lot about the world yet. But uh, yeah, he heard you. Like, you you know, that when we were kids, we had our fingers in our ears and we were la, 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 la. I don't hear you. That's because we knew it was being said. So they hear, you know, they hear that, you know, hearing sometimes doesn't always occur through the ear. And so, but there was this effort, this, this intentional, deliberate effort to go there. And I think that's everything is showing up, right? Even if it's messy, right? I mean, later on, I mean, if we just take ownership of that, right? And sort of wrestle back this, this sort of, I think like, I think we, we, you know, we sort of snap back. I did the best I could, you know? And I think that's, that's not accurate. Like, I think what kids need to hear is, hey, I suffered and sacrificed for what happened. Sometimes I didn't do the best I could because validation is a big part of this. Like we're born angry and anxious, screaming and crying. And then we experience that affection and that connection and we deescalate, right? We're soothed through that intimacy. And this is just sort of another version of that. Hey, you have my acceptance and my affection, just like the prodigal son, even, even despite all that dark stuff. Yeah. Right. Like, and then from that is a platform to get to discipline. But if I can't trust you, if I don't believe you love me, well, how am I going to follow your 
You know, how am I going to follow your leadership? How am I going to follow your discipline? If I don't know that when I fail, I still have love, then how am I going to be honest about my failure? Right. And I think this is a big mistake sometimes for us as people of faith is that. Um, and because parents always say, you know, get my kid to quit lying. And I'm like, don't use the word lying. Use the word trust. What's going on with our trust? We seem to have issues trusting each other. Right. Um, like you're you're seeming to have to hide or keep secrets. Right. And like and then sort of saying, you know, I in this moment. Right. It's you're safe. You get out of jail free. And I think I would see an autocorrect with that. Sometimes just that, I would, you know, and I've had clients convey this as well. Like, I'm not doing that anymore. Just from the sort of indirect and overwhelming experience of love. Yeah. You know? Um, and then you you have the other son who's like in that story of the prodigal son that's like, I've done everything correct, and I'm, I don't get a party. And, it's, and the father said, "Everything that I have is yours." And I think the answer is, "Hey, this is all about love and intimacy, right? You're separated, right? Sin is separation from. You're socially disconnected, trying to do it all yourself and without help and connection. This is all about connection. Whether you're out here raising hell or whether you're out here getting everything perfect, that's not connection. And so this story is about once you get connected with me." And you experience love, you'll you'll probably behave a little better, right? And so, I think um, we so so with you know in this endeavor with kids, right? Like like you were saying earlier, it can get messy, and I think it's that is a form of rejection, and it hurts as a parent. And I think you know just sort of saying, "Hey, well, I'm the adult, right?" and um, and, and they're going to need this. And so I can take that. I can take the rejection, and, but I'm going to keep showing up and inviting. And then, you know, it, but it doesn't hurt, right? I appreciate your authenticity here and saying, oh, man, you know, I, he mentioned a letter and I said, no, come on. You know? Yeah, but, and, it, and it wasn't easy. And it goes back, it goes back to really what I think you said at the very outset, which is when I asked you about mental health and healing, you actually said it's it starts with, me the father and and that's i mean that's huge because to be able to show up with the type of love and empathy that you're talking about requires a tremendous amount of growth in a man that a lot of us just don't have haven't walked through and aren't aren't necessarily equipped to to do that but it's very convicting to say, you know what? It's but it's part of being a faithful father. It's part of showing up well as a father. I need, I need to do that work. As we wrap up this conversation, and I hope I don't throw a question out there that you know requires an entire additional episode, which we can certainly revisit. But, but I think there are a lot of um, a lot of currently broken relationships that need to be restored. You're talking about building trust and intimacy. If that trust and intimacy and trust specifically has been broken, if a father has hurt a child and now seeks restoration, is that possible? And and how can that happen? And my guess, listening to this guy, listening to you, is a lot of what you've already shared is the solution. It's 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 doing all of that stuff to rebuild intimacy and trust. But is there anything else? What what advice would you have for a father who needs to try to mend a hurt or broken relationship with a child. You cannot, you cannot achieve being a perfect parent. You can't achieve perfection. It's, it's something that's beautiful and that 
it's a wonderful ideal to move towards. Please visualize it, right? But know that you're forever the student. You're on a journey. You're on your way. And so we have to acknowledge that imperfection, I think. And, and so we just, we get to be an honest parent. And really what kids need, they need, we all as human beings, we're just built for validation. And so to, to have a, why, why do we have to be ashamed? Why do we have to be passive and hang our head and say we're sorry? Could we lift our eyes up, hold our chin up and say, I apologize for and be specific? Isn't there great dignity in apology and ownership? Is, is it, you know, maybe looking at it that way instead of shame and looking our child in the eye and saying, I apologize. Please forgive me for yelling, for abandoning you, right? For not doing what maybe in the case of separation and divorce, like there are things that went on in me that did not help in this marriage. And, and that's my problem. You have to talk to your mom about hers, but I can own mine. And it hurt you. This hurts. And I want to ask you to please forgive me. Right. So I think there's that confession and forgiveness, right? That leads to reconciliation. You cannot have reconciliation without the work of confession and forgiveness. It's not possible. You know, um, it's like it's like social physics, you know, you know, it just is. It has to be that way. You can you can forgive without confession and that keeps our hearts alive. And but but um, but you cannot trust without confession and forgiveness. You can't have reconciliation. It's actually good to trust someone that won't take any ownership and um and doesn't believe in the concept of forgiveness, right? Like it's good. It's loving to them. I think to say, well, it's probably good to be guarded with you and for you to sort of be alone out there because this is an intimacy. And so, so I think right for fathers that are, you know, that we, we have our guilt, we have our shame. Um, and, and I think being able to acknowledge that with kids it, it is a part of even having, again, having the integrity to be able to have to offer discipline and guidance, you know, mm-hmm. People always say that guy has such integrity, you know, like, like he, he, uh, and I'm like, what do you mean by that? And they're like, well, he just is such a godly man. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? And I'm like, do you know about his struggles? Do you know about his, any of his weaknesses? Like, is, is there transparency and vulnerability at all? Cause I think the closest we get to integrity is that, right? Cause obviously, you know, when I hear someone's doing everything perfect, I'm, I'm a little concerned, right? Cause that's not possible. But, but, uh, but, but I think, right, like maybe for it's incredibly I mean, there's something about the ego, you know, like like, well, I guess will I lose my kids. Will we survive if, if they really know maybe my weakness? Well, you know, will my kids have nothing to do with me in the future. But at least you would you would know that you did everything you could. Like, you know, it, and and I think there's that brings people together, you know, thus thus the term reconciliation and sometimes doing that with a therapist. Or just a witness, you know, someone else in the room is comforting, you know, just having someone else there to, to be present and to see it, I think, can help with that. And, it, you know, it could be somebody in ministry, too. It could be a young life leader, a really mature young life leader. It could be a, you know, it could be a uh, youth leader. It could be a pastor um, or just somebody in the community that you feel like has great credibility or your or, or coach. You know, someone that your child really looks up to and just sort of having that time together. And it is, uh, I think, just like there's no way for that not to be painful. 
but it is so healing, right? Which, which one of us wouldn't want to hear from our mom and dad? Hey, listen, you know, I want to apologize for. Yeah, it doesn't. And then as the kid, you don't immediately say, ha ha, gotcha. Or like, I knew you were messed up or like the desire of the kid's heart is immediately to feel to feel better, to feel a loving connection with that parent. Um, there's not usually that that judgment there. Like, oh, you messed up, so I'm better than you. Like that's that's not the kid's heart. And that's a good reminder that that's exactly the case. What it unlocks in the child for us to admit our faults and to and to confess, as you suggested, repent I had a, is huge. I had a, yeah, I had a session, Brett, where there was a girl absolutely just acting out, teenage girl, and her dad had had an affair, unbeknownst to her, and there had been years of divorce. And she was enraged at her mother. And so I just said, you know, I think if we're, your daughter will quit taking responsibility for this if you do. Would you be willing to confess with her? And so it was amazing. He he did this with such courage. He 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 said it was me, you know. And and mom said, you know, there was ways that I was emotionally unavailable with your dad. I was shut down. Like she sat and kind of said, "Here's how I'm responsible and how this marriage broke." And then, will you please forgive me? And then, but it was so the dad said, you know, I, I had this affair and it deeply hurt you, it hurt your mother. And he was in tears. And he was like, will you please forgive me? And she was weeping. She, you would think she'd be angry, right? right. Like, what? Like she hugged him. She was like, thank you, dad, so much for telling me, being honest with me. And then like, I had like three more sessions with her, all that acting out. Just, it was amazing how, but it's, it's somewhat counterintuitive, right? It, it just is. feels like she, like for example, some people would argue, she doesn't need to know that, you know, that's not about her. But I do think it's like um, the things we, some people say, what you don't know can't hurt you. And I, I don't agree with that. Yeah. And, and there's wisdom then in the father. And I, I would just say, pray, ask the, the Holy Spirit could reveal what, what maybe you should share or not share, because that might be right for certain, certain fathers to share and maybe not appropriate for others. I don't know, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, but if you feel, yeah. But then having the courage, I think you're exactly right that, that being vulnerable like that actually speaks to strength in a man, not weakness. And so, man, I feel like we could talk for hours and hours. I have, I have more questions, so many different avenues we can go down in terms of mental and emotional health with our kids. But I think, I think for the men listening, we have at least a few more tools in our tool belt and maybe some of the first tools in our tool belt to help our children uh, grow up and just navigate life in as as healthy a way as they can mentally emotionally and most importantly as you've suggested to build intimacy and trust with them um so i thank you for your time this morning it's uh it's been a fun conversation yeah thank you brett yeah good luck later this month as you drop your kids off at college oh my gosh i remember when my parents dropped me off and my mom told me after the fact that my dad bawled you know three quarters of the way home so you uh, say they were strong with me you know they were strong in the moment uh you know i just i just wandered off to start my my college career sort of oblivious and they were they were a wreck so i <laughs> i imagine you'll feel all the emotions yourself completely unprepared for this yeah completely unprepared yeah it's it's those things right that occur that you th- you think you understand them until you're experiencing them and then you're like i know nothing that's right 
<laughs> well, you have a few tools in your own tool belt, I imagine, to deal with your own your own mental health along these lines. Uh, but if people want to connect with you, I mentioned your website. I'll post it in the show notes. If if people have follow up, uh, any any additional contact information for the listeners, and they're welcome to you know. And I think like you know, I, I offer virtual therapy, so if people are in different places than me, they you know they may want to reach out to me in that way, and I'm happy to help. Okay, great. Well, again, thank you for your time, men listening. I, uh, I pray courage for you as you step into some potentially hard conversations with your kids, but important and meaningful ones that will unlock intimacy with your children. So be blessed and we appreciate you for continuing to listen and follow the Faithful Fatherhood podcast. We'll talk with you again soon on the next episode. Take care, everyone. Bye.